0: seeing how they score their points has definitely changed my game plan because i have definitely integrated something some of what they do into how i play to try to up my game because uh, i'm cool. very focused on fundamentals uh, everything i do is about trying to better my fundamentals at the game and i think that the european uk players are better at the fundamentals than we are
1: Howdy, friends. Craig here. We've got another path to podium, this time for a Vassal League event that uh, Dan Brown out of the UK held uh, earlier uh, in the summer. Had players from all over the world, and our three finalists uh, after the elimination rounds, we have one from the US, one out of Sweden, and one out of the UK. For the final three rounds, we go step-by-step with what they brought, what was their philosophy, and what decisions led to their final placing. Pay close attention, we'll hear uh, one of them make an argument that Reva is now a Tier 1 Master. And at the very end, we talk about Gaining Grounds 1, what are they like and what are they wary of as far as the new strats and schemes. Enjoy! Playing a tabletop
2: strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends.
3: Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast.
1: Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking to the podium for a recent VASA League worldwide event. Dan Brown organized the entire league. Players played in their respective leagues and then it culminated in a three-round finals to crown the winners. My guests are the podium from those final rounds. Brian Bauer won the event. He's a player out of Texas. You might remember him from our coverage on the Las Vegas Open. Alexander Sandine, is out of Sweden who placed second. And Oliver Hedges out of the UK placed third. So, Brian, welcome back to the third floor. Thank you. It's good to be back. So, Brian, I need to find out what you have been doing during lockdown to keep the uh, gaming gaming sword sharp. Uh, I've been playing a lot more Malivo
0: than I was before lockdown. <laughs> is <Isn't> that something? <laughs> right. Uh, it's like I used to play one game every week or every other week. And now I'm playing probably three games a week. Um, We just started playing in the World Cup, and so Nick, Andre, and I are probably practicing way too much for all those games right now.
1: <laughs> so uh, who's going to carry the water for Nick? Uh, It's going to be Andre for sure, (laughs) by far. Um, Our our goal is to get Nick onto your podcast (laughs) or to carry him here. We got it. Well, so uh, Nick actually, um, he will be on the podcast because uh, I'm doing a uh, actual play RPG sessions with some patrons and he's one of them. And we'll we'll be broadcasting it. So you'll get to not only hear him, but you'll get to hear him playing an RPG character. So it doesn't get much nerdier than that. Perfect. It just sounds like Nick. Yeah. yeah. No, no, Nick's a good guy. He's uh, not great at the game, but he's a go. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but he, he's good. He, he's fun. Yeah. He, and, he, you know, he's gotten a lot
0: better. Um, so it's it's good. It's, Considering where he started,
1: that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Poor Nick. <laughs> oh, boy. So, Alex, Alexander, welcome to the third floor. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. So, Alexander, I'd like to find out kind of how you found tabletop gaming and specifically Malifaux. Yeah, um, well, it started
2: young. Uh, A friend picked up some 40K models, Space Marines, and we had some, well, um, pretty decent understanding how the game mechanic worked. But when you're young, you live in Swedish, it's not your primary language to speak English. So we kind of never... Did figure out how to balance our games with points and stuff, so we kind of lost interest pretty quick.
1: Well, and and f- fairness, Alexander. Even if you have the same points at forty k, by no means is it balanced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh,
2: because I started up with forty k again about ten years ago, or something, and played quite competitively uh, as much as you could in the northern part of Sweden. Um, But I got a bit tired of it and started looking around for other games. And that's when I first got in touch with Malfo. Uh, it was a couple of uh, persons at the club playing, just walking by. And I, the thing that caught my interest was the sheeting and the triggers that you had to have and all the stat cards. That was the most amazing thing. And yeah, I fell in love
1: with the aesthetics of the game before I even had the chance to try it. So, Alexander, I'd be curious to know, because, I mean, the rules, especially on the cards, can get pretty involved and intricate with Malifaux. Is yeah. it a huge challenge with English being a second language of trying to suss through and really figure that all out? Not really, not for me. I've been playing Magic the Gathering since I don't know when.
2: Uh, so ruling is... Probably the least worrisome for me. Uh, Yeah. But it does come sometimes when you have to, like, uh, rules contradict each other. And it it was far worse in second edition than it is now in third. So it's not a big issue.
1: Yeah. I mean, by no means is it uh, perfect yet. But boy, oh boy, compared to what we were facing in second edition, I completely agree. Absolutely agree. It's much better. Yeah. So, Oliver, welcome to the third floor. Hi. So you get the same question, my friend. How did you end up finding tabletop gaming in Malifaux? So Matt was super into
3: board games, role plays, a small bit of wargaming. So basically, as as soon as I could talk, I was sort of playing games. I think I had my first Warhammer model when I was five or so. Um, And I played games up until uni, where I sort of dropped wargaming due to lack of time. Um and then in my last year I was, you know, feeling a bit nostalgic for it and actually started watching Ash Barker who you've had on the show. Um and he just got me so excited for Sony games. Uh yeah. and, as he's want to do. And then I found there's a big malifaux community in York, which was my hometown. So when I went home for a year I picked up malifaux and played it massively, um and have done ever since. Yeah, yeah, that's a good group up in York. Uh, it was none of them play anymore.
1: Oh, really? I didn't realize that that had folded that group. Yeah, completely gone.
3: But there are a few
1: who play occasionally still. But the the group is kind of gone. Was that? Uh, did you guys just lose them between second and third? Yeah, m-
3: most of them went sort of end of end of second. I actually moved down to Oxford um, fully, so well, it was out of the group before it for the sort of included.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So, guys, um, we're going to talk about uh, these gentlemen's performance in these final rounds of the league um, to to kind of understand uh, how they took the podium. We're going to find out uh, some of the key moments in each of their matchups. We'll uh, find out what they brought to each of the matchups. But before we launch into that, um, Brian, it was a pretty unique structure, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. So kind of walk us through. Give me an overview of how Dan kind of built the entire thing. So it was sort of based
0: on Regents. Uh, Each time zone really played within themselves to figure out who was number one inside their time zone. And then you would take the top of each time zone and have them play against each other in order to narrow it down to our podium. Uh, That required me actually beating Andre for the first time ever. So that was great. Um, But I mean, it was over, I don't know, three months, four months of games just... Grind them out. I think uh, the person played in my third round played nine games and it was
1: one game every two weeks, essentially. Got it. Got it. And uh, did you find yourself? So did you have like two weeks of prep for each match? Yeah. So you knew
0: going into uh, going into each one, what all the pools were. And most people were declaring master ahead of time. That way you could sort of strategize beforehand. I think most of our games in the podium, we may have declared lists a couple of days early. Nice. Which is unusual for Vassal Games and Vassal Cernus from I've seen, but it allowed a lot more of that second level thought going into the games.
1: So, Alexander, I'd be curious, um, with that type of format versus, say, you know, you get get across the table and maybe you've had a day to prepare it for a tournament with a list or the person declares their master right there at the table. What For you, as far as getting ready, was there a huge difference in having all of that time? Oh, the horror...
2: Uh, (laughs) The options and the second guessing of everything you think about, Uh, you know what they have and then you make a list and then maybe not this and then you make another list and uh, it can be really annoying. You play mind games with yourself trying to end up beating yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Trying to figure out the optimal list when instead you maybe should have just gone with the first instinct.
1: Yeah, and what you're familiar with.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it still makes up for the, if you declare list early and you can study your opponent's crew, uh, that's, as, uh, as Brian said, uh, it makes up for a lot of lost time and you don't get surprised as much. Yeah, that's a good point. like it, but it still misses a little from the game experience.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. So, Ali, obviously, we could sit here and list all of the things that make playing in person better and playing in a you know actual live tournament with human beings. Um, uh, what makes that a better experience? But I'd be interested in your mind, Ali. What 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 are some benefits to kind of doing this as an online tournament?
3: So, I think that is the, the benefit to doing an online tournament in particular is just the, the range of people you can play against, and I think that's just a vast benefit in general. We're three like, different time zones here, like, UK, Europe, and North America, um, and we play against each other. Like, normally you don't get out of your meta, and even though the UK is quite big, what I find is playing on Vassal, you see completely different stuff to even being in a, a big meta, what, what you would be used to.
1: What did you find? Was there something that you would categorize that was unique about playing um, the Americans? Um, do you think there's a, a, a fundamental style difference between, say, UK players and U.S. players? Um,
3: that, that's hard because U.S. players all, are all split into various metas as well. So it, it does depend on which U.S. meta you, you focus on. One thing I find is I think U.K. meta tends to play in keyword stuff a lot more than people I play in Vassal often do but normally we'll have maybe one out of keyword pick or one or two versatiles unless you're playing funders. Um, where it's like, and certainly in the World Cup currently, we're playing against sort of full crews of out of keyword and versatile, which is a, a big depart.
1: Yeah, it, it, I'll be interested to see, you know, the longer we we are with three, um, when that when people start learning when that tax is worth it. Um, I mean, he, here's the thing, as far as I'm concerned, um, until Gaining Grounds two comes out towards the end of Gaining Grounds one, we're going to start seeing the same lists again, because that's just the nature of the beast of how these games work. Right. Um, I think even then it'll be more varied than the uh, uh, all star lists that we saw you know, at the end of two, I think that's part of the beauty of the keyword system and the tax. Um, but it's just our nature as as players. And as we communicate with each other and we face different things, you know, you find stuff that's above and below the curve because it's, it's, it's just not chess. Um, so I can totally get that. Brian, how about for you? Um, you know, playing uh, obviously within Texas is one thing, but playing a lot of vassal, is there anything stylistically you've picked up and noticed about uh, UK or European players?
0: There's been nothing that I've seen globally that I could say, oh yeah, all UK players do this one thing. Cause I've played some really good UK players. I've played some really bad UK players. Uh, I mean, all these, I, him and I used to play in second edition. He actually fine tuned my, uh, my Nicodem list way back in the day. Uh, I think we played like four games in maybe two weeks. And wow. It was playing against UK players has definitely helped my gameplay because they're, I guess I could say that they play for points in a more, in a less aggressive stance than the Americans do. So they'll go more for the pushes and the small little nudges to try to eke out those points. Whereas our meta is very aggressive about scoring points. So we're going to go there, kill you, and then score points. So we do have to adjust to try to play their game as well as bring our aggressiveness to the game.
1: Well and I would imagine Brian you know seeing that in action would be helpful because um if if they go in if someone is going in with that mentality they can often see plays that that are missed by the more aggressive player right if the more more aggressive player is just like look if the model's gone it's not going to score so i'm just right. going to wipe the model off but if you're um stylistically looking a little bit different you can see some of those well if i activate this then this uh or if i wait till they mo- they activate that model um you can you can probably see some interesting combos correct yeah there's definitely some really cool combos that they've brought to the
0: table and seeing how they score their points has definitely changed my game plan because i have definitely integrated something some of what they do into how i play to try to up my game uh cuz i'm cool. very focused on fundamentals uh, everything i do is about trying to better my fundamentals at the game and i think that the european uk players
1: are better at the fundamentals than we are very nice very nice so guys we're going to take a quick break when we get back from this break we're going to talk about the first round of the event like i said we're going to walk through step by step and talk to each of them about their matchups Uh, this is the round one quarterfinals it's a standard recover evidence pool we'll be right back Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3 x 3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com. That's with one M. Or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the Third Floor sent you. If you use the promo code Friend, all one word, T-H-I-R-D-F-L-O-O-R-F-R-I-E-N-D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So this round one quarterfinals, these guys um, all had different opponents. Um, Like I mentioned, it's a standard recover evidence pool. The schemes were Hidden Martyrs, Take Prisoner, Research Mission, Leave Your Mark, and Vendetta. So, Ollie, uh, I'd be curious to know, first of all, what did you bring to the match? Uh,
3: So I was running Fixed Master Hoffman for the entire league. So
1: I brought Hoffman. Well, Arcanist or um, no, Arcanist. Uh, Guild? Ar- Arcanist, Arcanist oh right. Boy. The only way to play him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of, unfortunately. So I'd be curious, Ali. So you brought uh, Arcanist Hoffman, and uh, who'd you go up against?
3: I went against Landon Sheehan. Sheehan? mm mm-hmm. um, Not someone I think I played before, but uh, was a, a really lovely guy. And he was running 10 Pundas McCabe, which is a very scary that's tough. to play against. Um, so, final score? Final score, I think, was 6-5 at the end of round six. So there's an interesting rule in this. Because it was knockout, we couldn't have a tie. So we, we tied. I, it was either 4-4 four, four, or 5-5 five, five at the end of round five. And we're frantically messaging Dan saying, like, "What what's the rules for extra rounds? And luckily, I was just in a a more commanding position, really, at that point. I'd just taken up a few more
1: models so I could really hammer home by advantage in round six. That's interesting. So, you, I mean, obviously you couldn't have ties. I wonder how – I'd be curious to know how often that uh, came up. Um, So, obviously a real tight game, Ali. In your mind, what made the difference? Um, Why were you in a better – so, obviously it was really a tie kind of right after five rounds. But what was the condition at the end of turn five that you think turned into a win for you in turn six? Um, I'd just been progressively
3: basically taking his models off. Um, and he had been, been really holding on other than a, a few points here and there, like really sort of holding on to it. Um, so it, it was just that extra, extra turn of advantage. Uh, there was one mistake where he had a Sun Ching and a Terracotta Warrior with Silent Protected doing that. You can't kill either thing where it's take the hit, place, heal one. Um, right bedside manner and just doing the uh, unless you've got some way of doing area of effect you can't get through it and at one point he just didn't spend the resource when he should have so I managed to take one of them out and and break that really sort of
1: gave me an extra leg up as well yeah yeah well nice win my friend Alexander uh, what did you bring to the round one Uh, I brought uh, Lucius in Neverborn oh Neverborn Lucius look at you yeah
2: so, and I got to go up against Matthew Star. I think he's an American player, and um, he took collect with a bunch of uh, Versatiles, as it seemed to be the standard way of playing collect nowadays. And uh, so, actually, we managed to get a tie on our game as well. Uh, so, things were really even, and it was a really close game, and... Uh, we both got some points in the cover. We, it was kind of a low scoring game. And going into the last round, we each had like four, three or four models. Uh, and we managed to tie. Uh, and then, um, uh, it was, I, we actually had to take, play two rounds in order wow. to finish. So we, uh, rounds uh, six, we also tied. We had like a fight of whoever could kill the most models and who could pick up the evidence markers and a race to dish out as many uh, markers for leave your mark as we could and trying still trying to deny the opponent the same thing. And um, since he had the mechanical rider, collect and envy left, uh, mm. and I had like a changeling, Lucius, false witness. Serena Bowman, I think. Um, And he took out my scheme, my false witness straight away, uh, which led me into a kind of bad position. But I managed that round to kill Envy and then do a kind of weird play with the changeling Lucius to actually, I think, kill Colette. Oh, wow, uh, nice. And remove her scheme marker to tie the game. Otherwise, I would have lost. Uh, and then round six, it was just uh, tried try to beat the mechanical rider.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, I was, and the I was thinking about, well, first of all, so if you guys are playing, you know, a turn six, turn seven, were you allowing scoring for the strategy for those rounds as well? Uh, the th- yeah uh, as
2: long as uh, i think uh, the thing we got from from dan was that we score as normal during the round and if it still is a tie you remove all points scored during that round and just start again from got the it. position of the board that was what uh, what matthew got from dan so that's what we did and because of that the evidence mark is, Uh, that we picked up would be removed so in the end you couldn't score anymore from evidence if you didn't have enough on the board so i think
1: very very interesting very interesting brian what did you bring to the matchup
0: um uh, i ran riva into Stuck. uh i played against atticus porter uh really good player uh Unfortunately for him, I did win 6-5. I barely eked out that win. Uh, so my list, I brought Vincent because of he's really, really good at sniping out those summons. Yep. And then I also brought Anna Lovelace as my out of keyword pick. So the reason why I brought Anna is not only is she really good with Riva in general, but also because her bubble stops the Valedictorian's placement. <clears throat> She's out by your side. She stops summons and she yep. prevents his models from giving out fast. Uh, and she actually prevents you from removing burning, which came into play, I think once. Uh, so I brought her as my out of keyword pick and it was really, really good for me. Uh, part of the problem for him is that Stook is my main master. And so I could predict all of his moves before he made them. I knew everything he was going to do, every opportunity. Uh, and it just allowed me to outmaneuver him and outplay him.
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough when your opponent is as, as familiar as you are with the master you're playing because that, that can be a, make a huge dif- differentiator. It's why I always tell people, you know, don't, don't just listen to the deep dives of the masters you play. Um, yep. you're going to, you're going to do a better job against these masters by hearing how they're played. Um, so it, it's interesting, Brian, to have arguably, the weakest Reza master against arguably, or maybe not arguably the strongest of all the Reza masters. Um, so what are you finding that's working for Reva now? I would assume it has a lot to do with the uh, Posterada.
0: Yeah, she's definitely not the weakest master anymore. Uh, I know I did run her into LVO and she was at the, or she was one of the bottom tier at the time. Yeah. I would say she's probably number two behind Stuok. Really? Yeah.
1: It's ridiculous. Her power level now. Um, And where's the difference? I mean, in your mind, what's the what's the big difference?
0: The big difference is that she is now in positives on every single flip that she does. Yeah. Uh, So your average flip uh, off of just the deck of cards is a seven. When you get a positive flip, it's a nine. So she's hitting more attacks with her set six, three, four, five. She is able to survive more because she's now effectively defense seven. Uh, and then she can also just burn through her deck to get those really high cards more often. Uh, previously, when I was playing her, I didn't really care too much about Pyre markers. I thought it was a fool's game because burning, was that do? Now, with the burning, it actually matters. So my guys are walking to Pyre I'm um, abusing that burning all over the place, uh, using Take the Hit a lot. Uh, it's, it's a real, really devastating combo uh, that I've really, I found with
1: her. Well, and I, I one of the challenges that I had with her, I haven't played her post errata, but pre errata, what, what I found very challenging is the hand pressure. She had a ton of hand pressure. And now when you have all of those positives, that's got to make a big difference on relieving some of that.
0: Oh, it's huge. And then also because you don't have to pitch a card to summon the corpse candle anymore. That's right. one less card. You're losing a turn. So yep. I can actually field uh, a lamp pad because I now have that card to resummon him. I can now use Vincent's Rapid Fire. And then also with Anna, she does give you two cards a turn, minimum. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes three or four if your enemy's going hard on her. So I don't feel that hand pressure anymore. And once that disappeared,
1: uh, she's just she's gross. It's amazing. I'm, I'm going to have to try her now. That, uh, it's very convincing. So, guys, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about round two, the semifinals. It's a flank public enemies pool. We'll be right back. Howdy, friends. Here on the third floor, you'll find us playing Malifaux and other tabletop games using mats by Mars. Their mats are scratch-resistant, waterproof, wet-erase-marker-compatible, and lighter than neoprene. Their mats use a new material that eliminates almost all glare, which is perfect if you're filming battle reports or you're under some glaring lights. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a print or design, and then choose an overlay for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition Strats and Schemes. The overlays will speed up your deployment and the placement of all of your objective markers. Until the end of September 2020, you can use the new promo code 3rdFloor920 to get a 10% discount on your next order. The promo code is in the show notes. When you place your order, don't be afraid to tell Mats by Mars you'd like a 3rd Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat at no charge. It's the only way to make the best mat in the market even cooler. Again, use the promo code Floor 920 to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. So round two, we've got a flank public enemies pool with Take Prisoner, Runic Bindings, Hidden Martyrs, Catch and Release, and Spread Them Out. Uh, so you soloed Revan won the whole thing, right, Brian? <laughs> I did not, unfortunately. <laughs> what did you bring for this round? I did bring Shtuk.
0: Uh, okay. It was struck first is Ma Tucket. Oh wow! Bradick uh, and I had played probably about a month previously as a fun game, and he brought Ma into a very similar pool, and Riva just gets stomped on by Ma and all by you, Uh So I couldn't play her. Uh, th- this game was a little weird. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. It was one of those where we reveal lists probably a week early, and no, never mind. We revealed Masters a week early and I was going crazy trying to figure out how to counter Ma because I'd never won a game against Ma before this. Uh, so I took Hidden Martyrs and spread them out, and the Hidden Martyrs on the Necropunks, figuring Makes that maybe he'd kill one, but the other could get away and come back in at the last turn to score a point, which is what happened. Uh, the thing with Ma is she's very aggressive, and Stook is also aggressive, but Ma's better at it. Yep. And so I really took Thurm off guard by not leaving my deployment zone turn one. I moved maybe like four or five inches out, but I didn't do the Valedictorian dive like most people do. And I forced Ma to walk to me to try to score points. The idea was with the pool and the strategy, uh, he had to come to me and I didn't have to go to him. Because my yep. necropunks could... Jump over there, score more points, and I'm in the lead. So he would have had to walk to me. Uh, He did bring a whiskey golem and sparks, which I thought was very weird. But they're big beady models; they're terrifying. Um, it was really it was a really weird game. I, I forced him move up. He loaded up whiskey golem on turn two with shielded, focused. Uh, poison, you know, all the conditions. Um, yeah, it was fast, focused, and shielded. Stoke walked up, took all that off, and yep. <laughs> damaged him. Uh, and then Anna walked up and punched it with a red joker for six damage and yep. killed it. Uh, so overall, like once that happened, it was just a slow, bleeding game for him. And I ended up taking it 5 2.
1: It's a, um, it, it can be a very, uh, a good, interesting approach. I'm going to say it this way. Um, so, uh, several weeks ago, we put out an episode on how to deal with alpha strikes. It was a guest episode someone had sent in for us. And that's one of the, th- the cases that's made in that, um, episode is, you know, when you have, when you're, when you're an aggressive crew and you're up against another aggressive crew, forcing them to come to you allows you to set up, it allows you yes. to, 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 to lay the lay that place the table. And while you're, they're spending AP walking and flying and coming to you, you're spending AP concentrating, building up focus, doing other things and putting things in position. And, uh, it can be, it can be interesting. what's great about, Gaining Grounds 1 is that for a lot of the schemes, you know, to score, you you can't stay unengaged. You've got right. You've got to come over. So very nice. Uh, uh, nice win for you, Brian. So Alexander and uh, Oliver, you guys played each other. Yeah, that is correct. Um, so Alexander, what did you bring? Uh, yeah, I brought Pandora this time. Actually, Making yeah. friends, right?
2: Uh, exactly. She's great for that occasion. <laughs> um, so the list was Pandora, Poltergeist, Hinamatsu, because of the lures, uh, Candy, uh, Iggy, Sorrow, and the, I think it was the Effigy with the Fate upgrade. Nice. And one Lyssa. And Ali, what would you bring? Uh, Fixmaster Sponsor Hoffman.
3: Um,
1: running, oh, I knew uh, that Running that. a pretty,
3: pretty standard Hoffman build: um, Melissa, Joss, uh, a guardian with magical training. Uh, I threw in the effigy was probably the only tech pick to try and give me some more condition removal. Actually, it probably ended up hindering me in the end because of uh, Pandora's ability of making it activate when I didn't want it to.
1: Yeah. Well, I also would imagine too is the you know the fast game that you can play with Hoffman is mitigated yeah, exactly. now too, right? You,
3: like the, the loss of conditions, really. Like I wasn't quite sure how to play against Pandora. I've not really played against her before, so.
1: Oh, that's tough. The, if it, mm. the first first three or four times you play against Pandora is is, is not fun. Um, she's beatable, um, and uh, you know, but you got you, you got you you can't read her cards. And go okay. I know how to go up against this. You have to see it on the table. And if she's being piloted by somebody who's familiar with her and good with her, it, it's 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 tough. So, Ali, in your mind, what do you think was the differentiator? What um, what led uh, in your were the biggest factor in the result? So the the
3: biggest thing happened top of turn two. I think Alexander and I actually talked about this at the end of the game. Um, but turn one, Melissa ran forward with fast and focused and everything. As for the last activation. Uh, and sniped out the poltergeist. Wow. Um, and then turn two, I I ran her away. But rather than double walking, I decided to take one parting shot because really, like killing the poltergeist was just going to put me ahead, and Alexander was going to have to come and play my game as you were talking to Brighton. Yep. But I left her just a little bit close, and then Hinamatsu was able to uh, pull her in. And after that, I had to go into Pandora's bubble, which was really sort of the end of the
2: the game. We both, I think, uh, had a, a bit thought about playing defensively, both of us. And when Oliver did the thing, he just blasted the poltergeist with one shot, I think, off the table, I realized quickly that I can't play this game, but he can. So yeah. I needed to change up my game plan. And, and I got the chance to lure uh, Melissa. Uh, I didn't kill her that turn, but I brought her down the second turn, the uh, third turn. And uh, so, and then and there, there was just a lot of mob- models in the middle and Pandora could just walk right in and start
1: commanding who's going to activate. Yeah, credit to you on that, Oliver, because target priority-wise, that that was a that was a perfect target to go for. And I, I feel for you, man, it's hard when you've got the shot, not taking the shot. <laughs> it's so hard. And
0: unfortunately, <laughs> you have to kill the poltergeist of Pandora. Like that's, yeah. I will read Joker that thing. All day, because that will oh. ruin your game.
1: Yeah, no Ridiculous. question. But, yeah. but you know, the problem. It sounds like Oliver. In hindsight, you think the better play would have just to have you know uh, Melissa Core just run, 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 run. But yeah. um, I've been in that situation. Where you're like, oh boy, and especially with somebody with the firepower that that model has, um, I can feel it for you. So at that point, then Oliver, you're knocked out, right? Uh, so I'm not knocked out. There's a third, fourth place playoff where I play against Radic oh okay all right gotcha so what so essentially a double knockout or it was only to see who got third so yeah, because they both got, got, got knocked out it was just play for third got it got it got it very cool so guys we'll take a break and then we're going to talk about the finals finals we have a flank symbols of authority pool we'll be right back Hi there, this is Owen from the Nova Open, and I am a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because I love supporting the whole Malifaux community. I want to help Craig and the whole Third Floor Wars team continue making the fantastic content that gets me through my daily commute. You should join me in supporting the show. Just pause this episode, head to patreon.com, and search Third Floor Wars, or grab the link in the show notes. See you there. What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? Five dollars a month? Twenty dollars a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go by our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. The reason we're able to bring you this podcast every week, as well as all of the content on our YouTube channel and VR Twitch is because of the 110 patrons that help support us. I want to give a special shout out to these patrons who are the ones that have given us the most since the start of our Patreon. So big thank you to Nick Westbrook, Craig Chuba, Kevin Smith, Stephen Morris, Sam Newman, James Hahn, Ambrose Ingram, Jeremy Peace, Corin Soles, and Carl Lee. Because of you and the other hundred patrons, we're able to do what we do. Thanks. So, final round after uh, playing in this league and playing in this uh, thing since what twenty twenty uh, like oh nine two thousand nine two thousand days <laughs> when it started. But <laughs> uh, the culmination of all of this playing, both in league and in the final rounds. So, like I said, flank symbols of authority. We have hidden martyrs. Spread Them Out, Runic Bindings, Vendetta, and Breakthrough. So, Ali, let's talk about your um, – so you played Reddick, right? Yeah. Very good player. Uh, and you guys were basically competing for third at that point. Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. But, but yeah. Redick, yeah. And so what did he bring? What did you bring? Uh, so I rang Hoffman. And right. Same list,
3: though? Pardon? Um, no, it's slightly different. It's always been a similar sort of – Set of models. This time it had the mech rider in um, because that, that speed is so useful. But yeah, again, a guardian, Joss, um, a peacekeeper, so a, a very similar set of models.
1: Uh, Ready. So I'd be curious Sorry. before you ha- head over to that, Oliver. I'd be curious to know for, as as a Arcanist Hoffman player, what what is the conditions that br- bring the mech rider, and what are the conditions that say I don't need the mech rider? I'd be interested to know how that decision's made.
3: So with Hoffman, I tend to bring three big models, um, and it's just deciding which ones are the most useful for that game. Joss basically always makes it because it reduces all okay. positive to damage sort of shenanigans, so it's always great. Um, but Mech Rider tends to come in when I need speed, um, either to sort of carry Joss up or to, to run off and do symbols or to hunt down scheme runners. Um, I tend to bring the Peacekeeper or Howard for some beating. Um, the Guardian makes it occasionally if I don't have a better target for magical training or want someone to take the hit for me. Um, so, they, yeah, and then the rest of it's just filled with a few small models. Um,
1: so it's just a matter of of that pool of, of big point models. It's figuring out what the needs are. And it sounds like for the mech rider, it's, it's really a mobility. Yeah, Definitely. Got it. All right, so you have Hoffman, and uh, what did Radic play?
3: Uh, Radic surprised me and brought brought Zoraida. Oh, wow. And he brought a very interesting list that had two Scyllarinds and two Gators, and Rami because that's Radic's crutch. Um, And I can't remember what else appeared in that list. Uh, But basically, his game plan was very obvious. These small models that have stealth um, moving forward and acting as nodes for Zoraida to obey my tall models to to kill each other. He really gunned for for Joss. Turn one, he moved up a load of models to try and get sight on him. And basically, every time he moved up a model, one of my big beaters ran up and killed it. Um, because I would got the fast out, I got everything out, and just made sure that he couldn't get that obey to have Joss rampage in my back line.
1: Right, right, yeah, and it um w- with Hoffman's speed. Um, I don't know whether uh, that devalues that stealth, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, having the Peacekeeper, like, even double walk charge in and use its base to block um, and just get lucky on the damage or, or not even that, like, I think one of them might have been down to one wound, but the 50 mil base kept the rest of the crew out of sight for me. Just right. so I could keep choosing when when my models were going in, basically, and at the same time was winning model trades.
1: So do you think that the reason you won is you just you slowly took those nodes out and you basically just uh, instead of maybe uh, focusing on Zereda, you just got rid of her tools?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, Zereda was, I think, going down when we called it at end of turn four. Um, But yeah, she was sort of hiding in the backfield around a forest. So by by taking out the nodes, I really limited what she was actually able to do.
1: Well, that's a good round, Oliver. So now the big matchup for first and second place. We've got Alexander and Brian. So, Alexander, let's start with you. Um, what did you bring in? Uh, yeah, I picked Titania uh, because, uh,
2: yeah, she's she's good. good. Yeah, she's good. Uh, she herself is at least good. Her keyword, not so much, but she, they still have their moments. Uh, but I have, have been having trouble dealing with resurrectionists uh, in the past, and i Titania has been the one who has stood against them the best, uh, with her resilience and her speed, uh, yeah. and that's why I picked her essentially. Uh, and the list, list consisted of Aesolin, uh, Effigy, uh, mysterious, mysterious Effigy with a
1: Fate Upgrade, Hooded Rider, Autumn Knight, One Will of the Wisp, and Serena Bowman. Very nice. So, Brian, you're going up against Titania. When you find that out, um, what did you declare and what, what was part of the decision-making? Uh, so I did
0: bring Shtuk. Uh, I actually brought the same list I brought against Radic, which I guess I didn't mention. Uh, Valedictorian and a Lovelace, two Necropunks and an undergrad. The Necropunks both had Grey Spirit Touch, because I, th- I still think that upgrade is broken. It's pretty good. Um, yeah, good. Same idea. Uh, hit him, martyrs on the Necropunks with spread them out. Just be, still can drop a lot of ski markers. Uh, Necropunks can just jump around everywhere and drop ski markers and then hopefully he kills one by the end of the game and then the last one scores. Uh, he didn't kill one. So I I did win this game 7 to 5. Um. But yeah, so that's what I brought. Uh, there wasn't really a lot of decision making that went into the list building. It was more of how to play against Titania and her threat range and her bubble.
1: And, and I'd be really interested to know what your thought process was. Well, first of all, how much time did you have between knowing you were playing Titania and actually playing Alexander? How much how much time did you have? I think we
0: declared a we- I think we declared a week in advance because we declared the day yeah. after we both won our games. Yeah, okay. exactly. And then we declared the list like two days before. Mm, something which, like that. Yeah. Which was a whole nother level of mind games. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because it was okay, is he gonna take Hidden Martyrs? Who's gonna take it on? What are his options? How he's gonna do this? What's what is what is his strategy to score points in this upcoming game? And I probably went back and forth with a couple of guys at the local meta probably really annoyed them with all my questions of like, Oh, well, what if he does this and this weird thing? And how do I counter this? And, uh, like hidden martyrs, do I kill the will of the wisp and Serena on the same turn to deny right. it? Or do I let them survive? Um, turns out it was on the effigy. So, uh, i missed misguessed that entirely. Um, but it, it was a lot of, a lot of back and forth to try to figure out what, he was going to do and how to counter it, which is entirely different than playing live.
1: Yeah, exactly. How about you, Alexander? What are you doing during that week and the few days when you knew his list? Uh, yeah,
2: I also have a local player, my ITC uh, teammate, who I terrorized. His main main master is also from Stuk, So we talked about, a lot about it. And uh, the only thing that kept coming up is uh, the 19 inch threat bubble from the Valedictorian and how I shouldn't take models with like Soulstone costs 7 or above because that only will mean I get worse models facing against me uh, so it's pretty limited the choices of models uh, and I don't really know what I did with right choices with some of them like uh, Autumn Knights but they did the did thing and they're pretty resilient so they can at least take a beating from the Valedictorian without dying first turn and that was the main goal, uh, don't let him summon turn 1 and um, yeah, well, it was a lot of thinking back and forth, and I think I mostly focused on what I should take for schemes, and secondarily uh, I uh, thought about what I might face, because that is the thing I can control, and as long yeah. as I know how I'm going to play, I can counter any situation when it comes to it, and
1: I tend to play better. Uh, not following my own plan. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that's going to be my next question, Alexander. So yeah. it, the game is over. You've lost the game. But if you're like me, what you do is you look back and you say, what were the opportunities? What are some things that I had agency over that I could have done that maybe maybe not would have won the game, but maybe could have made a difference? And that can start with looking at your list. It can start, lo- then you look at you know your deployment. Then you start looking turn by turn in the decisions you make. So going back, the next, you know, the next day, and looking it over, what do you think are some things that you could have done or choices you could have made that maybe would have impacted the results?
2: Yeah, there were definitely some play mistakes, uh, mostly at the end of the game when I realized it probably was over. But it was some apparent mistakes that were just so bad, uh, yeah. and also uh, I kind of stuck both the Hooded Rider and Titania at the bottom left corner. Uh, opposite of my deployment, just so that the Victorian couldn't get to them, uh, trying to hunt down some necropunk or at least stopping him from scheming. Well, so, I'd
0: also thrown an idol in that corner to yeah, try to bait uh, him but, to do that. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
2: so that was some mistakes during the game. Um, I had a pretty solid plan. I, I went for breakthrough and hidden markers, and I got one point in both of them. I should have scored at least one more point, I think, if I just made the last activations in a, differently.
0: Yeah, I think he used his hooded to swing at my models rather than scoring the last point of breakthrough.
2: Yeah. And it was kind of to stop you
1: from getting something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So. Brian, um, in the few games I've ever won in my entire life, and when I say (laughs) few games, I mean very few games, um, I look back at those games that I've won and there is always at least one or uh, maybe more than one moment where I'm at my side of the table or on your side of the screen in this instance and you go, oh crap, I really hope he doesn't do this. And when you realize that you've made a mistake, right, where you have mm-hmm. you have put yourself in a position that makes you vulnerable, can you think of any time during this matchup where you were sitting there going, "Oh boy, I think I might have screwed up," and I really hope Alexander doesn't take advantage of it. Uh,
0: I do. I I do that also in all of my games. Like I think I actually learn more from losing my games than I do winning because I spend a lot more time analyzing. Yep. Uh, there there was a a point I think. I think he probably could have pulled out a tie. Uh, On turn two, I had, I I killed the hooded, maybe it's turn three. I I killed the hooded and the gore turned into the hooded rider on the other side of the board, which I was expecting him to ride with me with the Autumn Knight to move further into my deployment and start scoring points. Uh, he didn't ride with me with the Autumn Knight. He moved the Autumn Knight first and then moved over. Ah. And I think that denied him getting another idle point and then also slowed him down on his breakthrough. Yeah,
2: and actually that was my plan. in My in my initial plan was to do it, but I had some epiphany that I probably could stop one area of schemes by doing it the other way around and still be able to do the thing I
1: intended to uh, yeah, and then he runs at to the point that he couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, so if I was going to summarize my losing career in Malifaux, it's, it is exactly what you guys just talked about. Because I can go into the match focused, right? Know exactly what I'm up against, got a game plan, it's all put together. You know, even at the beginning of each turn, I'm like, all right, here's what needs to happen. If I do this, this, and this, I think he or she's going to do that, and I'm in really good shape. Fourth activation, I get some stupid idea in my head because I think some opportunities opened up and say, you know what, Craig, all of those great ideas and plannings that were a clear path to victory, let's throw that out. And let's try this stupid idea and ruin it all. I mean, it's so hard. To avoid that, because and it's part of what's the beauty of the game is this because of the alternating activations, because of the depth and the board state changing activation to activation, it's it's hard to stay on your game plan because that can also lose you the game too, right? It's all you also have to be flexible, but. I can go through almost every one of my losses and show you the point where, for whatever reason, I thought this was a great idea. Um, <laughs> so I, I feel feel that like like viscerally when you're talking, Alexander. <laughs> yeah,
2: that point that point of the game is usually after deployment for me. Oh, well, <laughs> um, that's a good time to, yeah, yeah,
1: to do it. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it, it's, uh, you know, obviously I'm a fanboy, right? And it, it, it's, it's that stuff that I love, um, that I don't get in other games. Um, it, um, in, in so many ways, Malifaux is forgiving and unforgiving. And, and I love that. I love that, um, you know, there's, there's tabletop games out there that if you make a mistake, the game is over. Right, you have, and and really, it's a game of who's going to make the first mistake, right? Or who's going to roll the have the first bad roll, even for some of some of these roll games. double ones and blow up their leader. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But and with mouthful, that doesn't happen. Um, but when you have people of equal skill levels against each other, the levels of thought and processes and the ability to play and counterplay and recover. And, you know, it's not, nobody loses Malifold because of one mistake. Sometimes you think you do, right? Some of you say, you know, oh, it was that one flip or I, you know, I should have activated this model for, no, there's a whole series of bad choices that led to that bad choice or that, you know, bad flip. Um, and, and as part of what makes this game, uh, you know, as good as it is and why I think that, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, really enjoy it. So guys, what I'm going to do is we're going to take one more break. And now that we've got three excellent players on the pod, I want to talk a little bit more about gaining grounds uh, season one. I've had this conversation with a couple other um, people, but um, it's always interesting to get some fresh perspectives, especially considering this is going to be some global thoughts. We'll be right back. Hi, right, friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the U.S. and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzoopsgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. So uh, when we're recording this, it's late July. It's the week week before the uh, online Gen Con. Um, So those of you listening um, obviously got a chance to hear all about the Explorers um, and got to see our live stream uh, for it. But um, uh, for these guys, it's not the case. And they, and you guys have now had, what, six months roughly with Gaining Grounds 1? But that doesn't really reveal how much it is um, because uh, it's been so difficult for most of us to play. Now, you know, Brian plays uh, three times a day, so he's yeah, obviously very familiar with it. But uh, how about for you, Alexander? Now that you've gotten some games in with Gaining Grounds 1, um, let's start off with what uh, what you like about uh, this, this uh, set of schemes and strats.
2: Uh, I think they've actually managed to streamline the schemes quite good. It's hard to put together a scheme pool that is impossible for someone to do. Uh, that's at least my thought. Uh, you can, if you want, make hard scheme pools, but you have to really to do it yourself if you want to make it uh, a little more challenging. Yep. And, but then again, there are are some, uh, of the schemes that are virtually, no one ever takes them. And, but they've done quite a good job in removing those auto takes that everyone always takes. And in the last, you had, everyone took, uh, medium market for what it's, what's it called? The, the, The one where you drop a schema. Oh right? look, uh, by a building or something. In
0: search of ruins. Search, search of ruins. ruins yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So they managed to remove some of those auto takes that everybody always took, and but there's still some that's almost always viable, and that's why what I like about this edition instead of instead of the first one
1: is there anything um that concerns you let's say that we now fast forward to the month before gaining grounds 2 comes out what do you think that um is may not age well um so uh, is there anything that you uh predict uh could be an issue with this with this group of schemes and strats
2: um, no i don't think That's good. That it's good uh not anything specific that comes to mind, no. I don't think that. I think it's a pretty good one. Uh, the strategies might be need in need of a little more refreshment. Uh, right now, I think that uh, both the uh, public enemies and recover evidence are a bit too similar, and could yeah. just take something other in to change it up a bit. Uh, but other than that, I don't think there would be any issues of any kind, so.
1: So it sounds to me like Alexander, maybe a wish list for season two would be to have strategies that are are truly unique that that don't have the kind of overlap that you're talking about. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah. absolutely, because now there's like um, schemes that are probably a bit similar with the strategies, and the strategies need to be more defined yeah
1: in my opinion. So, Brian, one of the things that um, I think is interesting about Gaining Grounds One is uh, that we didn't ever really see before in Malifaux is just how difficult the second point on most, if not all, the schemes are. Um, and and I'd be curious to know whether you like that or not. Do you like that as an element in the game? I uh, I really enjoy
0: I really enjoy it, but I believe it makes it into a situation where it's a win more scenario. Yeah, where either everyone's going to score the first point and then you're going to tie, or if you're already winning, you're going to definitely crush the second point. Um, the second point isn't as hard as I originally thought they were. There's definitely a couple of schemes where it's really difficult, like Hidden Martyrs. Once you declare that second model, they know who to kill. Or not even kill, it's down to Half-Life, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, but overall, I really like the ski pull, uh, so I don't, I'm not really worried about the second point on most of them. Uh, I did try to start taking sabotage a bit more. The second point, that one's pretty difficult, especially on those larger, those larger pieces of terrain, because you can just drop a ski marker. Uh, I'll at least see something like, something like that change to where you drop a ski marker within a range of another of the ski markers that are taking the points. Nice. Um, to try to have some counterplay there. Uh, but overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the scheme pool.
1: Um, yeah, it's interesting because when you have the second point being as challenging as it is, right? Not impossible, but um, I, I can't think of a set of strats and schemes um, in all of my time in Malifo where it, the ramp from point one to point two was 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 that steep. What that does is it makes denial huge. And you, you said it without saying it, Brian, right? Is you, that you get the two points, one from each of your schemes, those first points. And then it be, makes the strategy so much more important. And it makes the denial on that strategy more important, um, which I think is interesting. It has a
0: lot of back and forth play, which I've, I love. Uh, I love the counterplays that everyone's doing. And it makes you think a lot more in game. Which is easy when you're playing a Vassal because you have a lot more time to play your games than in a tournament setting where you only have two hours or two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, And I think those tournament games where you only have two hours to play your game, that's when the better players start to shine more. Because they can assess those points of denials a lot quicker and uh, execute
1: them. You know? Yeah, your stronger players. Um, not only do they tend to have more familiarity with their crew, more familiarity with your crew <laughs> that you brought against them, but uh, it has been my experience in talking to uh, you know strong players from all over the world. There's a there's a information process um, advantage where uh, because of your knowledge base, you have the ability to take in information process it and put it into hierarchies faster and more efficiently than, than your opponent and that can be what decides the difference and and Brian your point is a very good one which is that becomes less important in vassal right because of the time right. uh so given enough time we all can finally you know do that level of processing but when you're under the clock like you are in a live tournament it's the person the person who can assess the situation and go through that decision tree the fastest and most of, and most effectively is, is going to make a big difference um so that that makes a ton of sense Oliver, what's your feelings about Gaining Grounds 1? Are you a fan? Is it getting old already? Are you ready for Season 2? Uh, overall, I'm a
3: fan. Um, the the loss of the, the win more on strategies, I think, uh, means I enjoy this set a lot more. And that they're, they're a bit more varied. They're forcing me to play different masters, which Gaining Ground Zero didn't. I could basically run fixed lists for Gaining Ground Zero. So, so yeah. I'm a lot happy with them. My big gripe with the set is Public Enemies. Um, I don't know if many people have this right, but the uh, the demise-replace sort of brokenness of it, but you don't score the points for, for killing demise-replace stuff and how that can really actually just make non-games happen. Yep. Um, you know, if you're playing against a, a levy crew that's built for it, you're just not getting any strat points, and it's just not a particularly fun game, even if you win it.
0: Or, or Dash with his mounted guard.
1: Mounted guard. yeah or dash on the mounted guard yep it, it, um, yeah it's something that we're very used to in a lot of other games and we we don't tolerate in malifaux um so i i completely agree with you oliver there's one thing you said that i want to go back to you said uh you don't miss the win more uh for strategies that you saw in previous can you kind of flesh out what the, what you mean by that
3: sure in all the gaining ground zero strategies there was this um you know, you need to do one of this for the first point, two of this for the second point, three of this for the third point, four of this for the fourth point sort of style. Um, and the, the problem with that was simply, that, as Brian was talking about with the schemes, like it becomes a win more thing. If you're playing against a good player, you're basically stalemating generally on like two, maybe three points each. Um, right. If you're playing against a bad player, then you, you table them and destroy them. But they, they, you know, you, it becomes harder to deny and harder to score each point. And it just meant, I think, for a lot of close scoring games when the table didn't actually reflect that. Whereas now yep. with the, the symbols, yep. you can, you know, pick one up a turn and if you get behind, it's a bit easier to
1: catch up. But it also stays the same level to deny and score. Yeah, and the, like you look at recover evidence, right? And the, the the condition for scoring and recover evidence is the same each turn. Where it does ramp a little bit is the number of tokens gets smaller and smaller as you go, but it's not nearly as as ramped as as what we saw in, in Gaining Ground Zero. Well, gentlemen, congratulations. That's um that's great. Are all three of you playing in the World Cup? Yeah. I am. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. So hopefully you guys will all come back on the show though. <laughs>
0: Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll see. We, we sort of got a table there first, a uh, first round.
1: Yeah, you, uh, you guys uh, yeah. lost to the UK uh, team,
0: right? It's flipping weird. Yeah, um, Nick and I both lost our games, but Andre did win his against Jamie.
1: Yeah, so, I did see that. So that was um, enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and Jamie's a lot easier to beat when he's never played the crew before, which I thought was an interesting yeah. choice on his part um, uh, going in with uh, the matchup he had. Uh, Alexander, do you have any uh, plugs or shout outs you want to put out there? Yeah, I can shout out
2: to our local players here in Nuneo. They're pretty good players. Uh, basically, our two ITC teams consists of six players here from Nuneo. And also, one of them, my teammate, runs a. Um, battle report channel on uh, on youtube called hex bag be sure to check it out if you
1: like to watch some sweet
2: mouthful, mouthful tradition battle reports
1: you guys have heard me talk about hex bag more than once um not only is the content really good uh but he's a good guy uh he's a good guy who just really loves malifo and i think it shows um in the in the amount of um time and effort he puts into there um because of the level of detail um in those hex bag reports um you become a better player by watching it because all of it's laid out for you and um the analysis that can that can be drawn from is great so uh could not agree more if you guys do not um subscribe to that hex bag on youtube it's uh it's it's your peril. So Oliver, how about you? Do you have any shout outs or uh, plugs? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> you don't like anybody. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Brian? Uh,
0: yeah, same thing. My meta is pretty awesome. I love all the guys that, uh, that I play with. And my World Cup team is the best. We are constantly talking. And I'm glad they put it with me because I have a lot of questions, a lot of back and forth. And I'm like, oh, guys, what about this new combo I just thought about? And, you know. Uh, they're, they're a great set of guys um, and obviously and, and obviously like their Flare Wars is why I listen to all the time um, so I plug you guys because I listen to your deep dives every single week you put them out and I think that's what's helping me become a better player.s
1: knowing the crews that I never face in my meta awesome awesome I appreciate it man well guys uh, thanks again and for those of you that stuck around to the end thanks for listening take care Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy, folks. Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements along with a compact dashboard to track your turn strat and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens it is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it the link is in the show notes check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast Um. So that, that makes a ton of sense. Ali, how are you been? Fe- uh, blah, 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 try that again. Ali, how have you been taking, I, that's still bad. Um, how do I want to ask you this question, Ali? Oliver, what's your feelings about Gaining Grounds 1? Are you a fan? Is it getting old already? Are you ready for season two? We'll keep this real short guys um if you guys can just kind of give me your overview what you like about gaining grounds one uh any concerns you have um now that you know you've gotten a few games in mm-hmm. um and then i'll probably ask you um you know at, at a high level what you would love to see come into uh gaining grounds two eventually so i have no answer for that i have no idea <laughs> Yeah, what do you mean you have no answer I I focus on the here and now I don't focus on the future <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm going to make, make you use your big boy brain okay oh, brain. No. <laughs> I only use this in my games outside my games I don't think you crazy All right. Um, let's see uh, Alexander we're going to start with you if that's alright yep yeah. oh man that, that, that that's brutal Oliver that is a brutal...
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, there was kind of on the table. Oh, especially because you're sitting there going, oh, I took out the poltergeist.
3: And to be fair, like, Melissa got, like... She was only on, like, the, the center line, and I moved to like, seven inches back or something. It's not like I oh, yeah. really left her exposed. I just hadn't quite right. you know, really. figured the to push up, get fast, like, double lure in. Yeah. 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 So th- There's the reason list, we um, see...
2: Yeah, Lisa might have lowered as well, I don't remember, but I think yeah. So.
3: I, I think so your Lisa might have I think someone moved Hinamatsu up and then Hinamatsu had fast from Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Meta. Yeah, that's, that's
0: yeah. Yep. And then Onslaught, so six attacks. Uh, seven attacks with flurry. Yeah,
3: I mean like, yeah. that seems good. I was keeping Mr. alive, but it was I just had to then send stuff in. Like rather than being able to play my game, I had to play Alexander's and that was for like
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the advantage that <laughs> <laughs> alright so guys we're going to go backwards on this so I'm going to start with Oliver go to Alexander and we'll finish with Brian okay mm-hmm. alright I'll, I'll bring us back look at you fucking Rev is the second strongest
0: oh my god yeah. I will argue that to my grave <laughs> it's so good better than Karai better than Karai uh, I don't wow. like Karai um <laughs> K- is oh, fun because right. you can summon models, really <laughs> but I mean, oh, she, yeah. she's great. I just I've never I've never messed with her. Vengeance I just I can't really it.
1: Such... Oh, vengeance is brutal. Yeah, vengeance is Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah Kirai, yeah, if you
0: come the
3: receiving end of it, you realize how much vengeance really like forces your plays. I mean, but it's, yeah. same, like, it, to it's like black blood
1: at range. In a way it is, that's right Brian um, It's a better so, version
0: Oh, yeah. way better version um, yeah. Other than them being able to force it on you But then you just take focus attacks And you take one damage for a big Five point
1: swing I don't know Alright, so I'm assuming you guys all won your round twos Right? No, uh, Alexander and I played And this is where I lost. Oh, Okay, gotcha So yep. Brian, we'll start with you and then we'll okay. talk about Ollie and Alexander's um, round. All right, I'll bring us back. Very good, gentlemen. Very good.
0: I like that. Yeah, there's no difference between us. Oh, by the way, fundamentals. There we <laughs> go. <laughs> they know how to play the game, we don't. <laughs> uh, I mean, we, yeah, it's <laughs> I don't know, I feel like a lot of US players just don't focus on their fundamentals well enough. I don't yeah. agree with that at all.
3: I'd forgotten about those uh, second edition games, Brian. Right? What was I running? Let's say it again? I'd uh, you
0: were also running, um, Sorry, running also well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we have the zombies' uh, fighting each other. Like,
3: yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: you, you ran the better Nicodem list than I did because I hated following the standard uh, <laughs> cookie cutter list that yeah. everyone was running.
1: Alright guys, so for this round, um, did any of you play each other? Uh, um, yeah. Alexander, and I played. All right. You I and I, played, all right, so... <laughs> so Ali, I'll start with you, and then we'll do uh, Brian and Alexander's, oh. uh
2: Okay, no, uh, not uh, we played in the finals game, so finals. None, none of us. Oh, none of us played sorry. in
1: the quarterfinal. No, got yeah. it, yeah, got it. All
2: right, so you guys all Sorry.
3: Got it. All right.
1: So I'll start with you, Ollie. Then we'll go to Alexander. Then we'll go to Brian. How does that sound? (laughs) Um, The key here, guys, um, let us know what you played. Um, You don't have to list your entire list unless there was some unique pick that you brought into the list because of the pool or the matchup. Um, Then just talk about uh, what, what made the match, right? So what were maybe one or two key moments that you think would, you know, decided things um, and, and and impacted the results at the most. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, if quick. I can remember. All right. <laughs> yeah, I know. what has been, been, what, like nine years? All right. Um, I'll go ahead and bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, you might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.